as the, the little sketch told us, um, today what we're going to spend time studying and talking about is actually the, the fall of the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. So last week we talked about the fall of the northern kingdom and just to kind of connect, um, we have been talking about chronologically the story of the Bible or what God has kind of disclosed about himself through the Bible. Okay? And, and we've been following it and, and, and kind of going little by little, story by story, um, the different events that have happened and trying to look beyond just the historical narrative of what's happening or the geographical location where all of these events are happening or the people that were involved and see how God was working in the different situations. Okay? So we learned last week that the northern kingdom fell. They were warned time after time after time. They wouldn't really repent. And then the Assyrian people came over and captured them and then relocated all of the Israelites of the northern kingdom all the way to Assyria. Okay? And then some time has passed. And now we're in the, northern king in, in the southern kingdom, um, the kingdom of Judah. And similar fate is awaiting them so um, the northern kingdom, of all of the kings that rule the northern kingdom, not a single one was good. Of the ones in the southern kingdom, eight. There was a few. Oh, that's fine. Uh, it just went back. So in the southern kingdom, there was some good. There was some sense of hope, and 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 God would forgive people, and and because the people would repent and they would turn back to Him, just like the graphics were showing, and then they would say, "Okay, look, we have done really wrong, God. We have." worship idols, we have done wrong things, and they will turn back to him, and then God will protect them. But eventually, it comes to the point where that just doesn't happen anymore. That's it. It's just people don't repent anymore of the wrong things that they're doing, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So, go on the next one. So, today, we're actually going to be talking about one of the lowest points in the life history, this is one of the lowest points in the history of the people of Israel. So what can we learn from this very, very low point in the history of the people of Israel? What can we learn about what they did wrong, and how can we maybe avoid making the same mistakes in our relationship with God? So, on the next slide. So, we have a little outline here in the next one that we're going to talk about kind of what the problems were. So first we're going to talk about the leadership. Um, you guys saw in the in the sketch, the person that was shown first was Manasseh. That's the kingdom. That's one of the kings that starts this pattern again of doing wrong in front of God. Um, we're going to look a little bit at the cause for the generational problems of what Israel experienced in terms of good king, bad king, and then a good king and a bad king. In other words, they can't really uh, they can't go forward and progress in a proper way. They make one step forward and then one step back or two steps back and then they'll make one step forward so in other words they're stuck in place okay we're going to talk really briefly about that and then we're going to spend a lot of time and read lots of verses about how does god work through the people and we're going to talk about the role of the prophets and the two prophets that are mentioned extensively in this portion of of scripture uh is are the prophets of uh jeremiah and the prophet of ezekiel okay so jeremiah has written a book and uh, in addition, another book called Lamentations, and then Ezekiel has his own book in the Bible as well. So these are what is known as major prophets, and they're called major, again,
again, like Pastor Cam usually says, not because they were really big people or because they were very, 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 very important. It's because their books are very large in the Bible. So they've written a lot of things, a lot of historical narrative, etc. So because there is, in addition to the major prophets, there's minor prophets or people that have smaller books in the Bible. But all of those were people that God called to speak into the lives of Israel for good. Okay? And then at the end, we're going to talk about God restores. So just like the sketch said, uh, Ezekiel, even though the kingdom of Judah, the Israelites are all the way in Babylon, they, you know, the kingdom has been destroyed, things are pretty much as worse as they can be. While they're over there, he will prophesy and he will tell to them, look guys, uh, I know this is really, really bad, but God will do something good. And he will do it because of his namesake. Not necessarily because you are worthy or because you're good, but because his name is worthy and he wants to make his name great among the nations. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, so let's go and dig into the leadership really fast because we have lots of slides to cover. I'm not going to go too much into detail for every single one of them, but we're going to read a lot of scripture. So all the scripture that I'm going to read is here on the, on the screen. So I think you guys can read this pretty clearly. Is it pretty clear? You can follow this? Good, awesome. So we're going to read and then we're going to look at the topics and see why and how scripture kind of supports it. So let's, let's leave, look a little bit about the, the background of this concept of leadership and Israel. So before Israel had kings, uh, who was leading their country or their nation or their group of people? What do you guys think? Do you guys remember? Judges, okay. So God would appoint judges, and these were people that uh, would lead Israel, and they were called by God to be the leader and, and provide uh, guidance and direction um, and uh, kind of set the tone for the nation of Israel, okay? And you guys remember when we looked at the judges, many of them, were they all good? Not necessarily. Like a lot of them actually did some really bad things as well. But People were like, no, we don't want judges. Uh, we want to be like everybody else, okay? Everybody has Nikes. I want to wear Nikes, right? Everybody has a LeBron James jersey. I want a LeBron James jersey, okay? Everybody has a king. We want a king too, right? So they started calling for this. We want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And uh, you guys remember the prophet Samuel at the time would warn them that <clears throat> Having a king is okay, but it's not the best because this king is going to have power. You guys are going to be serving him. You're going to be paying taxes to him. Um, he will take whatever he wants. He'll be in control. It's not necessarily the best thing to do. But people are like, no, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. So anyways, that's kind of how we start in this process. The first king is Saul. Uh, and then we have the problem with Saul. And then how he starts not really following God. And then we have... David right after him, and we have all the examples of David and the good things that he did. His son Solomon, we have covered him. Uh, and, and then right after Solomon, we just start experiencing this whirlwind of stuff. It's just a roller coaster of bad things. Good king, bad king. People are marrying whoever they want to. They're worshiping whoever they want to. They're building idols. They're building temples. They're praising. They're sacrificing. In other words, uh, it's just, it's, everything is going amok. Craziness, okay? So that's a little bit the background of Israel wanting a king. So, so they, you know, that, that right now we're at the point where, yes, we have a king, but these kings are really, really bad. So think about it this way. They're really, really bad, 
and they are in a position of really high where everybody is looking up to them for direction, for setting a tone, for patterns of life that they should imitate. So if the kings are doing terrible things, then, and they are the ones that are on the top, they're the ones that everybody's looking up to, they're the ones that everybody's following, then what do you think everybody else behind them is gonna be doing as well? So if the kings and the leaders are doing bad, all the ones that are following, what are they gonna do? Bad as well, right? So, <clears throat> kings are okay, but they are in the position where if they start messing up, they're carrying behind them a whole nation, and the whole nation is gonna go down. We don't have kings in America nowadays, um, but we have a president, and we also have some CEOs or major presidents of companies, okay? And uh, CEO stands for Central Executive Officer. They're executive, in other words, what they say gets done. They're the ones that go to the meeting and say, okay, we're gonna sell these stocks, we're gonna acquire this company, and this is where the company's gonna go. And there's a board that they can kind of vote on, but they're usually the ones that set the tone. So, and they're the ones that set the direction. So if they choose a good path, then this company that follows behind them is gonna be prospering, it's gonna be doing good things, and it's gonna experience good. But if they are the ones that made a bad decision, they're the ones that said, look, we're just gonna cover this up, and nobody's gonna find out, and let's bring an example, maybe some of you have heard of this, the problem with the Volkswagen cars, okay? Uh, from a couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys heard in the news, it was a very big thing. They, their cars were not meeting emission standards. In other words, the gases that the cars were producing were a little bit more toxic than the governments allowed. So it would have been maybe too difficult or too complicated to fix the problem. So instead, from the leadership on, et cetera, they said, we will figure out a way to kind of cover that up and nobody's gonna find out, well, as is usually the case with covering things up, somebody eventually finds things out, right? And some, some kid in, in the United States was doing a research paper, studying things in the car, and eventually found out that the way the cars were set up, they were set up to cheat on these emission standards, and then it was uncovered, the judges saw it, and they're like, okay, every single one of these millions and millions of cars that Volkswagen had done during that period are like, okay, all of these cars are wrong. Every single one has to be updated. So now they have to fix all of their cars and they're paying an extra fee and punishment for the things that they have done. So in other words, all that to say, leadership makes a great deal of importance. And when you are put in a position of leadership, it's not just yourself that you're accountable for, but you're accountable for all of the people that are following you, okay? So in the example, um, of Judah over here. Yes, we had the king before Hezekiah who was doing really good and, and kind of fixed things. And then we have Manasseh, and Manasseh is doing terrible things. So we, we showed him playing with a yo-yo. I don't know if they had yo-yos back then. But he was a kid, right? And he didn't really set up doing things properly. So the Bible says about Manasseh that he's not like his father Hezekiah at all, okay? Hezekiah, a really good king, does good, follows after God, leads his people in the proper direction. But then his son Manasseh, really bad. Okay, here's what the Bible says in 2 Kings 21, 6. It says he sacrificed his own son in the fire. Okay? Uh, does God 
promote sacrifice of people? Where is that in, in the word of God? Where is that in, in the scrolls and the, and the laws that they had that Moses had left them? Nowhere. So why, what is he following? Well, he's following the principles and the guidelines and the laws of the land where they are, of the people that are around them, their neighbors, the same people that God told them before, when you go into the promised land, make sure that you're not following their things. They're detestable. They're ugly. They're disgusting. They sacrifice their own children. They, they do all kinds of crazy things. They worship idols. So <clears throat> God told them, don't do that. He said, you're coming here to fix things. You're coming here to be a good example. But instead, they forgot to follow after God, and they turned back to the people and following after the people. So he sacrificed his own son in the fire to practice divinations, to omens, and consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. On the next slide, you have several more examples of this, the kind of thing, the things that he did. <clears throat> in 21.9, <clears throat> he says, but the people did not listen. Manasseh, and here's the word, that is really important here, led them astray, okay? So he's the king, the people are behind him. He sets the tone, the people are following. So when he's doing things wrong, and he's following in the wrong direction, he is misleading the people, okay? Manasseh led them astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And again, it's going to be repeated just a little bit further down in 11. It says, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who practiced, who preceded him, and has, again, here's the word, led Judah into sin, which is idols. Okay? So very, very important. So go to the next slide. We're going to kind of close this concept of leadership and wrap up a moment. So just like I said, the application is large scale. Okay, We can look at things like the president, who... Our president is, is important and we should definitely pay attention and do our best diligence to elect people in leadership that we believe stand by the principles of the kingdom of God, okay? And each of us, and we live in a country that is democracy, so we have an opportunity to do that, okay? The church is not free to promote uh, political affiliations or this and that, but uh, we have to be smart and understand that the people that we're going to elect to be our leaders are going to set a tone, okay? So they're going to set a direction. So we want to make sure that we're doing our part to say we want to elect a person that's going to lead the country in this direction, okay? We set the example of the company, the presidents, the directors, the CEOs. Some of you are in positions of management in your, um, in your companies, in the places where you work. But we can go from the largest scale, from the presidents, kings, CEOs, presidents, all the way down to the small scale. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Well, the small scale means who are you leading, okay? Uh, Ray Peterson are the oldest in their families. Well, Ashley is the younger sister, and Ronaldson is even younger uh, than her. Uh, or you're flipped. I don't know which way. You're flipped. You're older than your sister. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, my, my apology, how could I do that? But they're smaller than him and his brother. Well, whether you like it or not, you are in a position of leadership to them. So what you do partly sets up the course for them, right? So we have smaller siblings. Well, 
some of us have kids, uh, you are the leader of the family, of your children, of your family, okay, what you do. So when you do things that are wrong, yes, you have a consequence for that, but you're also setting up and you're dragging them in the mud as well. So there's a, there's a consequence for that. So all that to say that, uh, it's very easy to say, oh yes, the presidents, the kings are doing bad, the CEOs are doing bad, et cetera. But really the concept of leadership transcends multiples of scales, okay? And there is very, very big leadership where you have lots of people that depend behind you, and also you have small leadership, okay? Uh, the Lord Jesus says, uh, you be faithful with little, and more will be entrusted to you, okay? So if you're always saying like, oh, I deserve a management position, or I deserve this and that, or I deserve all of these responsibilities. Well, maybe you do, and maybe it is a position of honor. But remember that when you get to that position, you are responsible for a lot more people, and a lot more depends on you, okay? So are you, first of all, showing yourself faithful with the little things? Are you doing the small things in your day-to-day walk with God faithfully. Doing those, okay, God will entrust more responsibility to you, right? So just let's just remember that for all of us, this concept of leadership is really, really, really important as well. So so we, we spend a lot of time focusing on leadership just to say that uh, oftentimes we think, okay, I messed up and it's just me. Oh, I stole a cookie or I didn't go to work today, or I didn't do my homework today, or army, which is, so I'll repent of my sins and I'll be right with God, which is good, you should do that. But we're forgetting oftentimes that other part of all of those behind us, because we don't really see them. So we don't realize oftentimes that when we do wrong, it affects a whole slew of things behind us, because maybe not a lot of things, or a lot of people, but we, are, we have followers. Uh, if you are believers, and maybe you are in school or in your workplace and, and you have told your classmates, your coworkers, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, well, they, their eyes are on you and they're watching you, okay? So if you start to do wrong things, then they start to think that that is what Christians do, okay? If you sneak out early from work, you don't do your work, you do this and that, or you don't do your homework or all these different concepts, then remember, they are the ones looking behind us. So there's a there's a responsibility for ourselves, but a responsibility for all the other people that follow after our example, okay? So, you know, the Bible also tells us that Manasseh also sinned personally, which obviously, um, so you can go to the next slide. Um, we can kind of look at that a little bit, see what it says in 21, 16. It says, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end beside the sin that he had caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, it's not just that he caused Judah to commit all of these sins because he led them wrong. He was just doing wrong things himself. He was killing people, doing wrong stuff. All in all, just a really, really bad leader and bad example. So let's go on the next slide. Uh, so this one is the generational problems, really briefly. And we're gonna spend just a little bit of time on this one. Uh, and here's, here's why. Judah is unable to get out of the roller coaster pattern of good king, bad king. Okay, we, we talk about it. You know, one king is good, Hezekiah is good, but then Manasseh comes, he's really bad. And then somebody comes after him, and he's bad, he's another bad, he's another good. And then we just keep on going back and forth, and we can't get any traction of continually following after God. Okay? So Amon succeeds Manasseh, and what does the Bible tell us about Amon? 
says, but unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord, and an increase his guilt. So this is really briefly just to say, Manasseh did all these bad things, and remember the hook on the video when God hooked him on his nose and pulled him all the way over to Babylon, where when he was taken into captive, he realized that he did all these wrong things, and he repented. He said, God, I have done wrong things. I, I realize now that I was really, really, really bad. And God honors that repentance. And he kind of restores back Manasseh back to Judah. But he says his son afterwards, he doesn't even do that, okay? He's just, he does wrong things, but he doesn't even repent anymore. So now it starts to get really, really bad. Um, so here's kind of where it comes from. We're going to go a little bit back. During the early times when God is bringing the people of Israel into the promised land, in the land of Canaan, he gives them very, very strong instructions to destroy everything that is bad over there. So we're reading in the scripture, and God tells, when you go over there and you go to this land, eradicate it. Burn everything to the ground. Kill everybody. Burn everything. And you're like, that is so scary. Like, why is God, like, killing every single person, all these people that are in the land? Like, what's going on? Like, and you, you start kind of like, why is God like that? Why is God doing that? Well, God is like that because that is wrong, because that is a disease, that is a sin that has to be dealt with. And he's telling the Israelites, he's like, look, you guys are setting up the foundation of a nation. In your foundation, and if you guys, if any of you have done construction or work, my, my field of work is architecture, I, you know, I'm in design of buildings. When you're laying the foundation, it has to be solid, it has to be sturdy. When people are pouring concrete, you can't have cracks into that concrete because uh, soon enough, the walls start being put on top of that foundation and more and more things are laid on top of it. And if there's problems in the foundation, eventually it's gonna start cracking. And now you've built this huge building, but the foundation is not good. Well, early on when the Israelites were building the foundation, there were some people that they did not really eradicate. And there were some things that they did not really follow after God and they left some roots of wrong and potential problems that could surface eventually down the road. At the time, it didn't look like much, but this is in the foundation, it's in the root, and it's causing problem much, much later to the point now where Israel, his problem, and Judah, their problem is that they're surrounded with all these wrong traditions and cultures and religions and idols and people that they were supposed to eradicate so that they're not distracted, but instead, all of these people and distractions are in their face because they didn't take care of the problem early on, and now, they can get a good solid ground because as soon as one king starts doing good, the next one comes and he starts looking at all these idols like, oh, look, they're worshiping Baal. They're doing this thing. They're doing prostitution in the temples. You can sleep and have sex in temples. And they're like, this is really interesting. And they're all in kinds of things and they're, just, they're distracted. Okay? They are, there's so much around that's distracting. So maybe in our lives, uh, you have distraction in your life that's preventing you from being focused on God solely. Is there anything in your life where you're just, trying to be focused on God, but there's all these different things that are speaking really loudly in your life, okay? So that's part of the reason for the generational problems that we have in Israel's um, kind of story. Go on, uh, Meg, to the next one. So, so then we have this terrible problem in, this, in the example of Israel, and we have this situation where uh, Judah is falling apart, it's crumbling, everything is a mess. The Babylonian uh, army is waiting to capture uh, all of Judah, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take them all the way over to Babylon as captives. So how does God work in this situation? Is God just a spectator? He's just there, arms are crossed, and he's like, all right, I'm just gonna watch how Judah is gonna be destroyed and, and, and everything's just gonna be a mess. So 
Or is God a little different in this situation? How does God work? Well, God is definitely not passive about this. God is very active. Even in the worst, he sends people. He tries to work good and bring good into the situation and fix it and alleviate it. Okay? So what does God do in a situation like Judah's? Well, he sends. Okay? Who does he send? In this example, he sends Ezekiel and he sends Jeremiah. These are two people that God is calling out. And he's calling out these two people, and he says to them, go and speak the truth in the situation. Go and tell this country of Judah that they have done wrong so that they can fix it. Go and tell them that unless they fix it, they're going to be taken captive. Or go and tell them, in the example uh, that we're going to hear a little bit later, that they, you know, that's it. Like They weren't listening to me, so it's done. Their land will be captured, and they will be taken to Babylon because this is very, very serious. So God is not leaving us alone. He's there alongside of us to guide us, to direct us. If things are going really bad, God will be there to speak into our lives, okay? So in, in their situation, he sends Ezekiel and Jeremiah, okay? In Ezekiel 2.3, here's how God is speaking to Ezekiel. The son of man, <coughs> which really means just a human, just human, you know, in the example over here. The son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. So the situation is really bad. Bad God calls, goes to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I have a job for you. Okay? I am sending you to work in a problem. I'm sending you to the Israelite nation because they're a rebellious nation that has re they have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me. Maybe as soon as we are sent, when God is sending us, most often, more often than not, the response we have is, whoa, I don't think I can do this. This is kind of like going over to Israel. They're crazy over there. They like sacrifice their own kids. They like have sex with anybody and everything on the streets. There's prostitution, they are rapists, they will cut you in pieces. I mean, imagine in your mind right now, going to an area in the world that's like super, super dangerous and, 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 and anarchy and craziness and, and you have to kind of go in and speak truth into them. It's like, this is kind of intense. I don't know if I'm ready for this, okay? So, as God is sending as a package, almost like a combo, it's not just being sent, it, it's kind of God sends you with a, with a package, with like a, with a little pack for your hike. And the pack contains encouragement. So as God is sending them, he already knows that they're scared. He already knows that we're scared. And here's what God says to him further on. He says, and you, son of man, don't be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid. The briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. <clears throat> Have you guys been around scorpions? Have any of you seen a scorpion in real life? No? Yeah, so for one, they're really dangerous and they're poisonous if they sting you, like something very bad can happen to you, but also even if you survive, it's very painful. So in other words, the situation that is painted over here is 
is a terrible one, beginning to even briars and thorns all around you, we will quote you. Again, do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. They, though they are a rebellious people, okay? So the same thing God is gonna say to Jeremiah. Let's look at the encouragement to Jeremiah. Go ahead to the next slide. So Jeremiah said, likewise, here's his package. He's sent and in the package there's encouragement. So I, I said to you guys, Jeremiah's response about being too young. So here's what God says to Jeremiah. He says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Here is it again. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Go on the next slide. So, <clears throat> we're going to connect it here. What is our responsibility in this situation? Or what is the responsibility of Jeremiah and Ezekiel in this uh, situation? In Ezekiel 27, it says, You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Okay? So here's the thing that's outlined over there. That's really, really important. Do not fret over the outcome. It says, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen. Okay? So, application to us today. Maybe God is putting on our hearts to go and speak to somebody, to encourage them. Maybe they are in sin. Maybe they're doing some wrong things and they need encouragement or support. Maybe we need to reach out to them with the gospel of truth and the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus. But in our minds, we are worried about the outcome. We're worried about the future. What are they going to say? What is their response? Okay, well, God says, whatever. Whether they listen or fail to listen. That's, that's not, don't worry about that. That's not your responsibility. I don't know if we fear or if we're afraid that when we go to talk to somebody, they have to accept what we're giving to them. Or like, I'm, if they say no to me, then I did a terrible job. Or like, if they don't repent and if they don't turn away from their ways, I am a terrible prophet or a terrible messenger. Well, what does God say to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, your job is not necessarily to fix all of these people. Your job is to tell them, okay? You're just a messenger. You're somebody that God sent. If, if, if they don't fix themselves, if they go into captivity and suffer, that's up to them. They made that decision. You go and speak. You fulfill the thing that God has called you to do. So what is God calling you to do? You do, the, do that. Don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about what people are going to say, etc. How many times have we missed an opportunity? How many times I've missed an opportunity to encourage somebody to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus with somebody because I was worried about the outcome? What they're going to say, what they're going to accept, what they're not going to accept. More, probably worse than anything, what they're going to think of me. Why do we care what they're going to think of me? You know, Let's not be people pleasers, but pleasers of God instead. Okay? Here's in the New Testament something very similar about the Lord Jesus and how he teaches the people that he's sending. So in the example of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, he has his disciples. So just like God in the Old Testament sends the prophets, here in the New Testament we have the Lord Jesus, God, in person, in flesh, being there with people, and he is working in the same manner. There is 
a lot of need in the community, in the villages, in the towns around, so God calls out his disciples and goes to them and says, hey, go and speak, go and tell. If anyone, he says, will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. In other words, hey, I would like to tell you about the Lord Jesus and the good news. Well, you know, it's you about the Lord Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Oh, that's really interesting. I will tell, right? And then, so, in other words, it's the same thing, and we, we get stuck in this outcome here. What what will happen? What will people say? What will this, this and that? And all the future. And again, no. God says, you just go and do what you're called and what you're sent to do. That is your responsibility. That is your job. Everything else, don't worry about that, okay? So, Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> really, really, really important. So I'll talk about this uh, right now, but before I jump into that one, just a really, really quick one, uh, a really quick uh, word about what it means when God says to us, do not be afraid. So if you are, picture yourself as a very, very small human when you were little and uh, you went somewhere scary. Okay? Maybe you went to the beach for the first time and the waves are crashing and you're like, oh, this is terrifying, right? Or maybe you were going somewhere where it's dark, a dark alley, and uh, you're with one of your parents or maybe an older sibling, somebody that was really close to you, but you kind of felt like they kind of protected you and did their thing. And, uh, and you're like, this is so scary, but then they come to you and say, don't worry about it, it's good. You're with me, you'll be fine. How, does, how did that make you feel? I know it's kind of like going back in time right now, but how, how did that make you feel if mommy said that or daddy said that you're walking to something and then you're thinking, hey, daddy, like, no, buddy, you're good to go. Or mommy says, it's good, honey, you're fine, don't worry, don't worry about it, right? So there's a good sense of comfort that comes from that. And why do we have that comfort? Well comes from trust, because we trust that they have their good intentions in mind. You know, when they say, don't worry about it, it's fine, it's going to be good, don't be afraid, it's like, okay, I'm going to trust daddy, because he hasn't failed me yet, right? He's not the one that does bad things or leaves me stranded or, or throws me in the ocean in the waves and like I'm struggling to survive or anything like that. So it comes from trust. So does God saying to us, don't be afraid, have the same meaning and value to us still, right? Or have we gotten to the point where if God says don't be afraid, we just immediately go back and say, well, that's all fine and dandy for the people of the Bible, but God, this is serious stuff. So I'm just going to go and be afraid over here because this is scary stuff. You know? The God of the universe is the one that's telling us, don't be afraid. Right? So he's in control of everything. Of monsters in the alley, of all the dangers around us and everything else. He's the one that says, don't be, don't be afraid. He's our daddy that we're walking with that uh, says, hey, I got this straight. Don't be afraid about that, buddy. You just go and tell them. Because I see everything and you don't. 
And I know that you're afraid about this one little thing, but you don't see all these other things around that are there, okay? So why is God sending people? Of course, he wants to fix situation, but one of the aspects is because God is grieved. You understand the word grieved? When somebody's grieved, they're hurt. They, they're, they're disappointed and hurt. Um, um, when the Lord Jesus looked at Israel, he cried because he looked at them and he saw that they didn't have anybody to lead them and they were astray and they were in all kinds of sins and all kinds of trouble and it grieved him. It, it hurt him. He was, he was deep, deeply grieved and deeply hurt. So God is grieved. When we do things that are wrong, when we do things that hurt us, when we do things that hurt others, God is grieved. Um, in Ezekiel 6, 9, it says, Then in the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escaped will remember me, how I, this is God speaking, how I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts which have turned away from me and by their eyes which have lusted after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evil they have done and for all their detestable practices. God is grieved. So if you're doing something wrong right now, God is hurt because he's seeing you hurt yourself. Is, is there a sin in your life that you just can't get out of? It's, you, you, you're battling, you're struggling with that. I spent many years struggling with uh, temptation and lust in my life, and, and I, I would keep on falling again and again and again and I'm fighting and I'm struggling and, and, and God is grieved when we're captured by sin and locked into wrong in our lives and he wants us to be free and he wants us to get out of it. Um, it says, how I've been grieved by their adulterous hearts which have turned away from me and by their eyes which have lusted after their idols. But more than anything, if your heart is repenting and you may have done wrong, but your heart is repenting and turning to God, that rejoices God. And how do we know that that rejoices God? Because we have the example of the prodigal son in the New Testament, which shows us a person who did a lot of wrong against their father, symbolically, but as soon as, as, soon as they realized they're wrong, and as soon as they turned back, they ran back, their father, open arms, welcome my son with rejoicing heart, okay? Because God is grieved. That is why he sends us. He sends us to fix situations so it's better, okay? We're cutting ourselves. Why are you cutting yourself, you know? Uh, that's not going to fix anything. He sends something to fix the situation, okay? Let's go to the next one. But ultimately, God has to judge, okay? So a, a big reason why God sends is to proclaim judgment, okay? The Bible tells us that God is perfectly just. God stands for perfect justice. When somebody does something wrong, God has to keep it accountable. I like to always give the example of a judge. If you go to a court, we usually expect our judges to do their job right. They're there to stand in the middle, to hear the arguments of the both parties, okay, and make the proper judgment on the situation. And what if a judge, when all the people were telling the wrong things that a person was doing, just kind of turned around and didn't really care about it and didn't hear anything. And as soon as they finished, they're like, okay, this person can go free. 
And then the guy's like, but, but your honor, didn't you hear? And then he's like, ah, blah, 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 I don't care. All right, next one. So is that a good judge or a bad judge? No, it's a bad judge, right? It is not just, it doesn't stand for justice. Um, God stands for justice, perfect justice. He has to judge the wrong things that people have done. If people have broken the law, if people have gone against the law of God and the kingdom of God, God has to judge that. Why does God, why does God have to judge? Well, because of the detestable practices. And, and Ezekiel 17 says, the end is now upon you. And I will unleash my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the conduct that we are showing, the actions have a consequence, okay? So next in the New Testament, your sin has a consequence, okay? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you sin, the wage for that is death, okay? Perfect, you know, complete separation from God. But the hope is that the good news is that there is life in Jesus Christ. But we can't separate those two things. We can't just say that God is just tame, doesn't listen, doesn't do anything. No, God is everything. He's a perfect, just judge who stands for justice and truth. But he's also compassionate and kind and grieved. And he stands for mercy and grace. Okay? So he is the lion. He's the vicious one that tears things apart that are wrong. And he's also the lamb. He is also the one that tears down and builds up. So you know, and that has to be clear to the people. And, and God sends the prophet to tell them, look, I don't know what you're thinking, but the consequences have a payment for that. The next one, so a couple more examples of that. Go ahead, next slide. Why? Because of their detestable practices and also because God is replaced, they have replaced God. And, and, and God tells the people, he's like, look, here's why I'm judging you. You have detestable practices. You're doing things that are wrong. Don't do them. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says, my people have committed two sins. Obviously, they have done a lot of other things, but my guys tell them, here's two things that are very, very bad. He says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. I'll go on the next slide, and we'll talk about this verse a little bit more, but I'll, I'll explain it. Actually, stay back, because I want you guys to look at the verse as well. This is really, really important, okay? This one really hits home for us a lot, uh, for me. Um, because of just kind of learning to trust in God. You know, because this verse to me is about, yeah, just go back and write it. Yeah, this verse is about trusting in God. So here's, God says to them, look, I am unending stream of water. You stay close to me and you have everything you need for life. I will provide for you. I will guide you. I will lead you. I will do all of these things for you. But you have to trust me. It's not easy. The Lord says, you know, that the, the easy path leads to destruction. The, the narrow path leads to life. Right? So you have to stay close to God. You have to trust him. He may lead you to some things that are difficult or challenging. But you have to stay close to him. But as long as you stay close to him, he is the source. He's the spring of living water. But we get of trusting in God. We get, I don't know, like, I don't know if 
like and trust you, God, this is really intense. Like you're kind of living on the edge, always trusting you. And you're asking things that are very challenging. I never thought that I would be able to do something like this. I just want to go in my little hole and my tunnel and I'll do my little things here that I'm comfortable with. And, and I don't necessarily want to trust you all the time. I just kind of leave you there in the awesome grand things of God's kingdom. And I'll be here and I'll just gather a little bit of water and just build a little jar over here. And I'll live off of this little jar of water for a long time. So God is saying to them, look, you guys have replaced me. I who have unending water, spring of life. And instead, you are here building, storing things so that you can have water for yourself. And here's the thing, is that they have dug their own cisterns, but these cisterns are broken. They cannot hold water. You're thinking that, okay, I got this figured out. I don't need God anymore. I can go about my life. I know what to do. I know how this is done. I'm going to go and get a job. The job is going to give me this much money. And this much money, I can pay all my bills, build a house, be a husband, raise two kids. Actually, I don't need God. God is good. Stay there. I don't need that advanced kind of intense life and all that stuff. I'll be good on my own. But God says, you know, they, that is, you're doing your own cisterns that's broken. It doesn't really hold anything. You know, and eventually, it's just going to fall apart. So go to the next one. Um, at least for next two, this verse over here. In Jeremiah 2.20, says, long ago you broke off your yoke. And that means that they have detached themselves from God. It used to be back in the day, uh, yokes were things that held two bulls together so that when they're plowing a field, both of them are working equally, 50-50. So there's one bull, and he has a yoke connected to another one. And when you hit them, they're both moving together. It's like you know, one is doing 50% of the power, and the other one's 50% of the power. So God and Israel are supposed to be in a yoke together. Israel is supposed to be yoked to God, kind of working and walking together. But God says, you broke off your yoke and you said, I don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. I want to be away from this yoke. Because long ago, you broke off your yoke and you tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. And indeed, on every hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. And look at the verse about the yoke from the New Testament. Go on the next slide, ready? Matthew 11 says that. It says in Matthew, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why are they weary and burdened? Because they detached themselves from God, which they thought was difficult, and instead they're out here working hard day and night and fighting and struggling to keep on patching their vessels, which are broken, they keep on pouring a little bit of water, but it leaks out. They can't really get a hold of life, which is so difficult. And they're just exhausted. Why? Because they want to do things on their own. The Lord Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke up with me again. It may seem like, oh, no, I don't want to go in a yoke. But here's what the Lord Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, so if you're not in the yoke of the Lord, you are in someone else's yoke. And a lot of times you, you may say to people, 
you know, uh, you start talking and explaining things about God. And they're like, I don't want to, I'm not going to follow after anybody. I'm my own person. I'm in charge of my own life. I'm going to do whatever I want with my life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do in my life. Nobody's going to guide me, lead me, any of that. I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, that's not really true because when you are detached from God and from the yoke of God, you automatically attach yourself to something else or somebody else. You attach yourself, you jerk yourself to work. You attach yourself to family. You attach yourself to career. You attach yourself to money. You attach yourself to power. You attach yourself to fame. And on and on and on and on, right? But those things will bury you to the ground because it may seem okay for a while. It may be good for like months, couple of years, oh, I'm, I got this, it's kind of cool, I can do this. But more and more, more and more, it will drag more and more and more to the ground. Uh, meanwhile, here it seems kind of difficult because you're surrendering everything to God. You're saying, God, I'm yours. And as soon as you surrender, you realize that God's yoke is actually really easy because God is the one that's really doing all the work. You're just kind of walking alongside of him as well. Another reason, um, and this is maybe the last of the, of the sort of the why God sends the prophets and, and the problems, is the pride and hardened hearts. And this is a topic that keeps on coming up over and over and over again. So what caused and what led to the eventual downturn? Obviously, lots of things, the detestable practices, the idol worship, all these different things. But Judah, Israel, came to the point where their hearts didn't even listen to God anymore. Manasseh, we talked about him first, was terrible. He did awful things. Remember the first thing we said? He burned his son, sacrificed his son in a fire. Like, if somebody did that today, do you know what would happen to that person? If somebody says, I'm going to go in the yard and take my kid, and I'm going to sacrifice and burn him in a fire, like, what will happen to that person? It, he will be killed, executed. In an elect we don't have electric chairs. We need to injection or something. Or if they have a phenomenal attorney that proves that they were insane or something like that, he'll spend for the rest of their he'll spend the rest of their life in prison, lifetime punishment, right? So that's what Manasseh did. But Manasseh eventually realized that he did wrong. He repented. His heart was broken. He realized, God, I have done wrong. I'm so sorry. And God honors that. Honors that soft heart. But after him, nobody cares. Hey, let me tell you about God. Hey, let me tell you about God. Nope, I don't want to hear about that. Does it sound familiar? Who was like that early on in the history of Israel? Who had a hardened heart? Obviously, many people, but in Egypt, who was that? Pharaoh, right? Because opportunity after opportunity, you know, what Moses would do is like, hey, let my people, let our people go. God would say, let my people go. And then... Pharaoh would be like, oh, I'm going to let them, but no, I don't want to because I have free labor from them, free slaves, all this stuff. And he kept, and the more he rejected God, the more the heart hardened. And it became harder and harder and harder and harder. Because if you don't listen, this is Jeremiah 13, 17. If you don't listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride, because you get so prideful. In 2 Chronicles 36, 13, it says, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the successive king, this is Zedekiah. Uh, so these are the people that are not even repenting anymore. Their, their hearts are completely 
broken from God. Then he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. He had made him, excuse me, take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the important question that all of us have today, and it depends on how much time we have, we're almost finished over here in just a little bit. We can maybe talk a little bit about that. What is, what is the state of your heart? Like, what is your heart like today? If God was to speak to you something, are you approaching the situation with an open heart and an open attitude that says, yes, God, yes, Lord, speak into my life. Teach me. What am I doing wrong? How can I correct? Uh, speak into my life. Encourage me. Or is your heart hardened where God is knocking, but you're like, there's nobody here. Actually, you're not even saying anything. You're just like in a corner somewhere, and you're like, God, and God is knocking. Does God not know that we're there? Well, it came to me. We can run away from God. But we harden our hearts so much sometimes that it's hard for God to get our attention. So ask yourself, be honest, what is your heart like today? So, and let's finish on an encouraging note here. In all of these situations, let us not forget, just like you said, God is the lion and he's the perfect judge, but he's also the lamb and provides and has compassion. So even in this very, very difficult situation in the history of Judah, uh, in the history of Israel, God's compassion still is never ending. And here's Lamentation with Jeremiah speaking over here. And I hope that some of these verses will really encourage you a lot and remind you of the character of God. I know this is a little bit smaller than we read it out loud. In verse 21, it starts and it says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's a hopeless situation. Their whole country is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. They've been moved away. If any of you understand what war is like or what any of those atrocities are like, I mean, it's just terrible. It's just people are killed, family are displaced. It's just a terrible situation. It's the end. So in all of that, he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So are they new every month? So if you used up God's compassion this month, do you have to wait until the first? Is it like a salary, like a paycheck? No. Next morning, you woke up. God's compassion is there for you. Do you need God's compassion? Do you need to repent of something in your life? Then go to God. His mercy, his compassion, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. In verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So, um, are you discouraged? You're like, I'm waiting on you, God. I'm waiting on you. I'm depending on you. I'm yours. Help me. Will God come through? Yes, God will come through. Because the Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the ones who seek him. And he's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Okay, we have several more verses. I'm just going to read them of encouragement. And, and we'll close with that. So on the next slide, Sway. <clears throat> As God is kind of showing hope to the people, he's telling them something that's very important to understand. In 
that it's not that the people deserve. Uh, and again, I hope you understand it. God is compassionate to you, not because you're nice, not because you're really sweet and you pet kittens and you get really sad when you see a puppy that's in the street. No, you, you, you're a sinner, you're broken, you have wrong in your life. You, you, God is compassionate because of his nature and his goodness and for his sake and for his name. In Ezekiel 36, 23, it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. After all of these wrong things that the people of Israel have done, God says, I have a plan to restore things. And again, it's not going to be because you did good. Again, when God calls us to himself, it's not because we are ready, because we've cleaned up and we're ready. It's like, okay, God, I took a shower. I cleaned up all these things. I returned all the candies I had stolen, and I am now ready to be yours. No, that's none of that. You don't deserve to go in God's presence because you returned all the candy and you said, I'm sorry to somebody. You're a sinful person. You have wronged against God. You deserve judgment. But God, because of his compassion and his goodness and for the glory of his name, provided a way for you, and that is through Jesus Christ. You needed to be judged. You needed to receive judgment for the wrong sins. I needed to receive judgment for the wrongs that I have done in my life. But Jesus was sent by God. His son took that punishment for him so that I can be reconciled with God. Again, like Israel, God says to the Israelites, it's not you. You, you messed up. You did wrong. But I'm going to fix things up because I want my name to be glorified among the nations and God's kingdom to be true. A couple of more verses over here. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. So why is God giving us a new heart? What was wrong with the old heart? It was a stone, right? It wasn't a heart. He says, you know, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that feels, that responds to what God is teaching you. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And this is speaking about God restoring people to himself through Jesus Christ and God kind of bringing and putting the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we're living in obedience to God. Uh, next verse. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt that was destroyed, and I have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. It's for God's name to be known. The next one, um, one more verse, I think. And the purpose is ultimately for God to be united with his people. God wants to be united with you. So then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open the graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So why, why God is going through all of this? Because God wants to be in a relationship with us. We are made to be in a relationship with God. When we are rebelling, pulling the yoke, idol worshiping on other things and all that stuff, all of that is rebellion against God. It's saying to God, I don't want to have a relationship with you. It's like if you've been in a relationship maybe 
with our boyfriend, girlfriend in the past, etc. And all of a sudden, somebody's like, you know what? We'll give you a text message or something. I don't think it's going to work out anymore. What do you mean it's not going to work out? We're just like, it's not going to work out. Have a nice life. You know? That's kind of what we're doing to God. We're just kind of separating ourselves from him. Where God just wants us. He just wants us to be in a relationship with him. But when we are wrong, when we're worshiping idols, when we're sinning, when we're doing that, we are corrupted. And God has to provide a way for us to be cleansed, and then we can be reunited with God again. This is what ultimately God wants. And that is what God calls us to him. That is what God sends prophets. That is why God sends us to send to call others to come to him. Um, that is why God is patient. That is why God is compassionate. That is why God is merciful. That is why our God, the Father, sent the Lord Jesus, his son, to take the punishment and the sin of the world so that the world, through Jesus, can be reconciled back to God to him. So that we can be united with God again. Okay? Um, so I hope this message is encouraging to you guys. I hope that we understand the, the greatness of our God and how strong and how, how powerful and mighty he is and that he is the perfect judge, but also that he is compassionate, merciful, and encouraging. And he wants you. Uh, he wants you to be in a yoke with him. But he wants you to know that that is the yoke that you should have because everything else that will burn you to the ground will just dig you deeper and deeper and deeper. So that's it. Let's go ahead and pray. And then um, we can uh, take just five minutes while the ladies go and prepare and start working on lunch. Uh, we can get together on a um, on a little table, and we can just talk a little bit about the heart, and we'll kind of see why the heart matters, etc. Why that's an important thing. So, uh, and then we'll have lunch for everybody that's willing to stay, by all means, and then uh, we'll be free. So let's go ahead and pray. Um, our Father, thank your word for your word. Uh, you have opened it up for everybody to hear, Lord, and uh, my prayer is that it is encouraging to your people. Thank you for everybody that is here today, Lord. I pray that you encourage and strengthen their hearts um, and keep us close to you, Father, um, so that we live in a life in, in a manner, in a way that honors and glorifies you and makes your name great, Lord. Um, and, uh, Father, um, if there are people here have, that have not surrendered to you and that have not started to follow you, um, that have not accepted the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, Lord, I pray, God, that you call them. Lord, that uh, you explain your truth and your gospel clearly, uh, but Father, you do the work um, in people's lives and call them to yourself. Lord. We're grateful, Father. Um, we are grateful that we have food to eat. We ask you to bless it and uh, nourish our bodies with it, and uh, bless our fellowship and the rest of the time we spend together today. Lord. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. All right. So <clears throat> we can get together.